Are you listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any other platform where you can leave a rate or review? Do you like what we're doing? If the answer to all of that is yes, please consider quickly giving us a five-star rate. And if you wouldn't mind leaving us a nice review, we greatly appreciate that as well. Okay, let's do this. Welcome to the Ghost of Howard Hall. My name's Simon. And I'm McKelly. Thank you for joining us for episode 201 of our chapter-by-chapter book review of A Song of Ice and Fire by George Martin. Today, we'll be discussing chapter 57 of A Storm of Swords. That's Daenerys 5. And as we always do about this time, we're going to chat about the chapter and try not to spoil any future plot points for you. And hopefully, we're going to provide you some entertainment along the way. We'll summarise what happened, discuss our thoughts on it, provide some useful background, compare it to the television show, indulge in a little pedantry, and cover some relevant news and listener correspondence. Be sure to check out the show notes, they'll provide some additional information about the characters and other things of note in this chapter. How are you, McKelly? I'm doing well. I'm, uh, you know, I think my house may have set some sort of record, or at least tied some sort of record. I can't imagine uh, what, but go on. I... <laughs> So I was standing at the end of my yard a couple uh, earlier this week with uh, talking to my neighbor from across the street, and and I was just uh, lamenting about how uh, things outside the house have not gone swimmingly. Our, our, one of our big trees in the front is dying, and you know the the person that it, that I I know this is a first world problem, but I've hired some person to cut my grass. Because our company reimburses us for it. That's that's the only reason I'm doing so. And uh, he just doesn't he, he doesn't man his he doesn't maintain his lines very well. You know, like most of the point of cutting grass is to get the nice perfect lines that go back and forth across your yard. He's all over the place. He goes left. He goes right. He does circles. He's here and there. And so I was just lamenting about these things. And my my neighbor just look he's just we're looking at the house and he goes what is that and i follow his line of sight and there is something attached to the underside of like where my where the gutters are on my roof you know yeah. like where, yeah, there's a, that little uh yeah. soffit like maybe it's called yeah. i don't know the little Fine. overhang area go with that and so i i, go, I get closer and it is an absolutely enormous uh, wasp's nest. Yes, I, that's, I assume and that's what it's looking So I'm like, oh, be. great. It's right over the door. Like you, you walked past it when you came for the 200th episode. You walked past it. It was right there. So, so thankfully, uh, you didn't notice it either. So I call a place to, uh, you know, come remove these wasps from my presence. And the guy came out yesterday and he looked at it and said, that is one of the largest nests I've ever seen. Oh, bravo. This is a professional saying this. <laughs> well, congratulations. Not, yeah, I know. Finally. Finally, I did something noteworthy. <laughs> so and he said, those aren't just your regular wasps. Those are, have you ever heard of bald-faced hornets? No. They're very scary looking things. They have these long black bodies and then these like skeletal white faces. And <laughs> they're terrifying. <laughs> and, and he says, 
He's telling me about them. He's explaining why he's going to kill them instead of rehome them. Because, you know, if they were honeybees, he would rehome them. But depending on the type of insect, whether he rehomes it or kills it. And he's explaining to me why he's going to kill it. And one of the things he mentions is that they're carnivores. And God. I was like, what are we dealing with here? <laughs> the flesh-eating Giant, terrifying wasps right above my front door. Full-faced wasps. <laughs> I know. They're terrifying. So, uh, yeah, so he he sprayed them yesterday. He sprayed the nest yesterday because he said the the nest was so big. He said there's easily more than 100 adult wasps and hornets, I guess, in that nest and probably more larvae than that. And he said, in fact, it's so big that it, it is probably near the point where a new queen will be made and that queen will take half the hive somewhere else. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. I, the fact that the, that a queen is made, I thought, you know, like, I guess a queen has to be made. Presumably. But, you know, yes. <laughs> yes, they're not just anointed, but uh, but it hadn't reached that point yet. So it was like bursting it to, you know, it was like filled to capacity. Yeah. I'll send you a picture and I'll, I'll put it on our social medias. It is uh, something. Anyway, sprayed it yesterday, and he said probably more than 50 or so are out foraging right now. So if I knock the nest down right now, they would just, like, hang around until they die. So he was going to spray it yesterday. The foragers will come back, go into the nest, die, and then the next day when they've all done that and they're all dead, he will knock the nest down. So uh, all day, you know, is right next to our porch. So all day long, I would look out and you'd just see like wasps dropping out of the sky. Ah. And there's like a pile. Oh, it's, oh, it's pretty gross. That is they, pretty... they are huge. Amazing. So, so anyway, uh, that's over. Not to get not to get hung up on the details of your story. But can I say, you and I have always had a very different philosophy to the mowing of the grass. Yes, yes, we have. <laughs> because, Much of the outside chores, yes, we yes. take different because, philosophies Because I'm entirely with your mowing guy. The point of mowing the grass is to mow the grass as quickly as possible and get in out of the heat. That's the point of mowing the grass, <laughs> not to create straight lines. That is entirely... If that happens, a happy coincidence. But <laughs> Apparently my... But the 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 guy I hired to cut my lawn feels the same way about it as exactly. you do. <laughs> and I can see why you might think that you want the that you, you want the McKelly type of grass cutter. Right. Yes, I can see that. <laughs> yes, I I'm paying for lines, I'm not just paying to get the grass shorter. <laughs> I want my lines. Uh, and he's a neighbor. He lives, you know, maybe 10 houses down from me. So I can't just like did you fire to- him and say, "Yeah, I've decided just to do it myself," and then hire someone else. Did you go check his see. lawn? I should have ahead of time. His lawn is mostly weeds, so I should have seen that coming. <laughs> Maybe I should have seen it coming in hindsight. <laughs> so, anyway. So my news is, is, is news only to me, not to you. Uh-oh. Because after we finished recording the 200th episode, which was a lot of fun, and thanks to everyone for coming to attend that, McGilly Ray took me to his wine cellar. Well, that's a slight <laughs> exaggeration. He had a room with some wine in it, but it was ru- wine that he and Stacy made themselves. We do. What's, yes, what's the word? That's... I said made, but it feels like you do something else. You. Uh, well, 
Yeah, we make wine. Yeah, just make. Yeah, I, I feel like it deserves a better adjective, a, a better verb, because because you brew beer, <laughs> you know. <laughs> right. Yes, you brew beer. You you make wine, I guess. God. Yeah, it is pretty lame. It's, there should be something better. There should be something better, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a um, it was a COVID quarantine hobby that we started, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, unfortunately the bottle that I gave you was of our very lowest vintage. Uh, I'm afraid. I, I hope it wasn't too terrible. Well, it was good. It was fine. I mean, we we drank the whole thing. It it had. I thought taste wise, it was as good as what we drink, what we okay. what we pay for at the store. But um, it had a little bit of sediment at the end, but not not an yeah. abnormal amount, a slightly abnormal amount, but not like off putting. But I thought the taste was totally fine. It was nice. Good, yeah, good. I'm glad. I, I'll give you more if you want to, because Stacy doesn't like she doesn't like uh, overly fruity wine, and that that vintage that we gave you that. Uh, was a little more fruity than she would ever drink. I will say that Carson and I have been struck down with a cold. Uh, Lucas came home from work with a cold and gave it to both of us. So our taste buds were not in full <laughs> force when we drank the wine. So maybe you didn't even taste it at all. It seemed good. <laughs> the evening passed by in a happy fog. That's right. That's all you're really looking for. Just like getting the grass shorter, you're just exactly. looking for a night in the happy fog. Yeah. <laughs> We've got this uh, 2020 cab. It is so bold and so full-bodied. It's even it's a little too much for Stacy. Even she she kind of somewhere in the middle between the you know that cab and what we gave you was a cab Merlot Zin blend, I believe yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. So even had anyway, a, which even had a funny name. Oh, <laughs> Grateful Red, Grateful right? Red, is that what yes. it, that one was called? Yes, yes. the cab is called Firstborn because it was our first ah, batch that we made. <laughs> oh, goodness. well, yeah. Congrats! I mean, really, I was really very impressed. So well done, and 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 also, well, thank you. It, I have to say, I think that you know absolutely everything there is to know about me. I don't think there's a single thing you don't know about me. But you had this. And I had no <laughs> idea. I think it's because, yeah, I mean, we were still recording over quarantine. Uh-huh. I never brought it up. It was. It is so time consuming, too. You had like 200 <laughs> bottles of wine five feet from where you were recording, and it never came up in conversation. That is weird. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how it never came up. Well, Michele, I will say there uh, is the possibility you told now. me several times and I forgot all about it. But. Our listeners are going, yeah, we know about all this. <laughs> McKelly, you have to keep remembering. We can't afford us right, both to yes. go down like this. <laughs> all right. Well, let's get down to business. How do we leave Daenerys Targaryen? So last we saw of Danny, she was defeating the slavers of Yunkai with barely any bloodshed. Well, on her side. Uh, she'd convinced right. Dario Naharis of the Stormcrows? Yes. Thank you. To come over to her side, using his obvious interest in her to her own advantage. So Jorah doesn't trust the hunky, young, handsome Tiroshi. I wonder why not. Uh, Danny was also <laughs> learning more about her brother Rhaegar from Arston Whitebeard, who clearly knew him quite well. The freed slaves of Yunkai stream from the city and call her mother. McKelly, why don't we give the summary of this one? All right. 
Okay, so Danny and her bloated army of freed slaves reach the walls of Marine. Her Kalisar is hungry. The Marinese, forewarned of her arrival, have scorched the earth all around their city, stocked up on food, and retreated behind their considerable walls. She knows that she must take the city quickly before her freed people starve. But none of her advisors see an easy route. There are no trees with which to build siege engines or catapults. They could tunnel beneath the walls, but they don't have the time. They cannot starve the Miranese without succumbing first. Two sides of the city face water, a river to the north and the sea to the west, but her three ships won't nearly be enough. And all the while, a Miranese champion parades before the walls, challenging whoever Danny wants to send. He's really annoying, and when he urinates in their direction, well, that's just rude. <laughs> That is just rude. Not as rude as what uh, we're about to hear in a minute, but still rude. Uh, Plenty want to volunteer to be her champion. Others caution that she let him bloviate. But she's had it. She sends for, and then sends out, strong Belwas. Her thinking is that one, he might well win. The man survived the fighting pits of Marine, after all. Two, he doesn't really contribute much tactically, so his loss would be a lot easier to swallow than that of her Blood Riders or Dario or Jora or pretty much anybody else in camp. And three, if he loses, then it's hardly worth crowing about, but if he wins, it's a disgrace to the Marinese. Wallace heads out with just a sword and a small shield. The champion, whose name is Osnuk Zopal, rides with a 14-foot lance. He rides at Belwas, but in the Westerosi jousting style, rather than what a Dothraki would do, riding straight over the foe. Belwas shows deceptive speed in parrying away the first two runs. On the third, he ducks beneath and cuts the horse with his arak. Now they, now they fight man to man. Belwas is cut, but ultimately decapitates Osnak and defecates towards the city using the hero's cape to wipe himself. There's much rejoicing back in the camp. Danny insists that Belwas gets patched up, but he reminds her that he always lets his opponent cut him so that he can count his victories by his scars. That was the other rude bit I was referring to earlier. Oh, yeah, got it. Yeah, yeah. As, I re- as I read about him defecating <laughs> towards the city and wiping his butt with the <laughs> dead champion's uh, cloak, I thought... I bet that's the rude part. That's the rude part, yes. <laughs> Later, during a council meeting, Brown Ben Plum, the new leader of the Second Sons, mentions that he does know a route into Marine. The sewers that spew out into the river are unguarded but gated. His experience is that the gates are rusted and vulnerable. But the whole journey appeals to nobody for pretty obvious reasons. <laughs> Uh, Jorah suggests leaving Marine and continuing on to Pentos, but Danny can't forget the 163 crucified slave children who line the road for her. She won't leave until the Miranese pay for that. Danny sends all away, but Viserion flaps over and lands awkwardly on Brown Ben. Danny sees that as a good omen. The dragons like him, she can trust him. They chat a bit more. He claims to be a distant relative. Some ancestor Plum married a Targaryen princess in the days of Egan. He has no idea which Egan. Danny is amused and charmed. She and Miss Sandy saddle up for a tour of the encampment while she wistfully considers taking Dario as a lover. She leaves her blood riders behind but takes Arston Whitebeard as protector. They find the Unsullied practicing and bathing. She wishes some of the cell swords had similar levels of dedication and hygiene. (laughs) I'm sure. (laughs) They move into the freedman's zone, and the people gather to touch her and get her blessing. But one man grabs her and pulls her from her silver. 
It's Miro, the former commander of the Second Sons who went missing during the battle at Yonkai. He shaved his head and his beard to avoid detection. But before he can kill her, Arston uses his staff to defeat the Titan's bastard. They head back home, with Arston apologizing profusely for allowing her to fall into such danger. Back at camp, Jorah is mad at Arston for allowing the incident, and then incredulous that a squire with a stick could have dispatched Miro of Bravos. Danny wants him knighted, but both men object. Arston tells Jorah that he, Arston, is the better knight. Danny's confused and demands the whole truth. At this point, Jorah recognizes him. We'll be right back. Hello, friends. Are you ready to make some unforgettable memories? Well, if so, consider the Marriott Bonvoy program. Discover the perfect destination for your summer getaway and unlock exclusive deals on luxurious accommodations. With our affiliate partnership, you'll enjoy unbeatable savings and a seamless booking experience. Don't let summer slip away. Visit Marriott Bonvoy today and make this vacation season one for the books. Use our Ghosts of Heron Hall affiliate page to check it all out and buy Bonvoy points or give some as a gift. The link to our page is in the show notes. He introduces him as Sir Barristan Selmy, who That's betrayed Barristan Selmy. Barristan Selmy. That's where he went. <laughs> We've been wondering all this time. Well, yes, he introduces him as Sir Barristan Selmy, and then introduces him as the man who betrayed her house to Sir Robert the Usurper. Barristan says, that's the crow calling the raven black. Selmy describes taking Robert's pardon, serving on his small council, with men who sullied the white cloak nonetheless, but that he fought for Rhaegar on the trident while Sir Jorah was on the other side of the battle. And that, most interestingly... Lord Varys often reported to the small council on Danny's activities, courtesy of a spy within her ranks. Hmm. Danny cannot believe it, but Sejora cannot deny it completely. Only at the start, before I came to learn, she won't hear that word from his lips. <laughs> he confesses that it was the promise of going home. She sends them both away in an absolute fury. But then it occurs to her that she has a perfect place to send them. <laughs> I feel like they're going somewhere without a paddle. <laughs> yes, yes. They might want to borrow Orzan's cloak. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I gotta say, I'm glad to finally drop this Arston pseudonym. So many yeah. times I've almost called him Barristan. Yeah. And... Uh, uh, so glad to, that no, to no longer have to, to make that distinction. And of course, the TV show, because you could see him, they never bothered with this. Oh. He was Barristan Selmy from the get-go. So there was no right. no reveal on that. He didn't well, have... there was a reveal, but it was the first time she met him. It was <laughs> right. revealed who he was. So. He didn't do like the glasses with the nose and mustache thing. <laughs> <laughs> wear, a, wear a helmet with the visor down all the time. <laughs> uh... So, I don't know, one, one of the first bits about the chapter that we get is is their, their movement basically from Yonkai up to Marine, which is north up the, the uh, west coast, east, east coast, coast of Slaver's Bay. And no, no, you're right. You're, well, actually, that's an interesting question. Is that, is that the east coast? I guess it is the east coast yeah, of the Yeah, I think it's bay. the east coast, yeah. But, but typically, an east coast... 
the water would be to the east, but here the water is to the west because it's the coast of a bay. Oh, it circles. Rather than the coast of a continent. Right, know? yes. But yes, you're right. Keep going. Ignore me. Well, uh, anyway, they're they're going up the coast of the bay, regardless of whether it's east or west. And um, he, she's got this... Now she's conquered the previous two cities, Astapor and Yonkai. And she, she's got this 80,000-strong horde of people pretty much just following her, like a pack of locusts, really, I'm sure. <laughs> and it just seems like it's not a great idea. I'm not sure... If she told them, please go home, if they would listen or not. But it just doesn't seem like a good idea. I'm not sure what the end goal is here. <laughs> Have you seen Monty Python's Life of Brian? Yes. <laughs> Where the crowds follow him. <laughs> and they split into two factions, one following the gourd and one following the sandal. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. what, what What's she going to do with them here? Yeah. What, the ideal situation here would be she takes Marine and kills everyone in Marine who's a bad guy, appears to be everyone in Marine, and then <laughs> leaves the city to them. <laughs> this is your city now. Please stay. But isn't that pretty much what she did with Astapor and Yonkai? And they left <laughs> it anyway? <laughs> yes, good point. Yeah. I mean, you know, she freed their cities. And it's a long, hard march to Pentos where there's no room for 80,000 extra mouths in Pentos and they can't all stay at Illyrio's manse. So <laughs> it's pretty big, but uh, but not that big. I, I was I was kind of spitballing while I was uh, preparing for the episode, trying to think of what could they do. And can I interject with one thing? Yes, before, I mean, obviously you've thought about this more than me, but. She could say, you're free to do anything you want with one exception. <laughs> <laughs> you see where my footprints are going? That's the one direction you can't follow. <laughs> Aside from that, have at it. <laughs> uh, I, it's, it's not an ideal option because they'd have to, they'd have to march through the red waste. But I was thinking maybe a, a city like Vase Toloro, like an empty city. Remember the, the city yes, where... Yes where they took refuge in the Red Waste. Now, again, that would be another long, hard march, just like they would have to do to get to Pentos. And but at least there, at the end, there's a is, place they could call their own. Yeah, but but is there enough arable land around there to keep 80,000 no, alive? You know, right, that's... yes, probably not. There was like some orange trees and stuff in, in the city, but I don't think that's going to do it. <laughs> We died a week later, but we tasted oranges. <laughs> Not everybody. There was only 12 oranges. <laughs> Some just got peeled. <laughs> so, I mean, what is what is the idea? It seems to just be follow Danny and wait for her to perform more miracles. It's just, it's unsustainable. Yeah. I mean, I, I think this is why sort of revolutions often turn on themselves, you know, because, because, Fomenting a revolution is not that difficult, but once you've done it, then you have to rule. And so right. the revolutionaries become the rulers, and then they suddenly realize, well, actually, we can't just keep doing this. This is not sustainable right. or acceptable. And then they pare back all of the promises they made, you know? Right. Yes, I could, I could totally see that. She's got the advantage of not wanting to rule here, so she could just run away. 
<laughs> just she could ride faster than they can walk. She she'll eventually outpace them. <laughs> We're gonna play a game. Everyone turn to the east and see how long you can face that way. <laughs> uh, I feel for these people. She freed their she freed their cities. Just go home. It's yeah. time to just go home. Yeah. So I don't know. It's a, it's kind of irresponsible not to discourage them from following her, but you know, um, I mean, if she is and they're not listening, I don't know what she's supposed to yeah. do. I guess. I mean, as long as she makes it clear, hey, you you have to forage for your own food. I can't promise you any comforts here. Yeah, but... though, if if she did, she'd have to conquer every city she crossed from here to Pentos. Essentially, yeah. yeah. And then Pentos, when she got there with the three point two million. <laughs> following <laughs> so uh yeah so as they travel from uh were, were they most recently yunkai yeah uh, as they travel from yunkai uh the citizens of marine knew they were coming and so brought them a welcome gift and they actually built signposts pointing in the direction of marine the signposts were made of slave children who were crucified with their fingers pointing in the direction to marine every mile for 163 miles uh, I I hope the people of Marine get it. Yeah, I yes. think Danny's going to be the one to give it to him. I mean, in a story with so many awful events, this one is right up there at the very top of just horrendous actions. I mean, they were they were crucified alive. Obviously, their entrails are hanging out. Oh, just terrible. Gee. I've just thought of something. Well, I, I thought of it as I, as I did it. It's, it. This is TV pedantry, but I'm going to I'm going to inject it here if I can. Okay. How how did they know in the book that there were 163? Because they counted them as they went, right? <clears throat> That's how they right. knew there were 163. In the TV show, they found the first one, and Jorah said, "There's one every mile." I don't know how he knew that, but and she said, <laughs> read how, the script." How far how far are we from, Marine? And he said, we're 163 miles. Now, <clears throat> that is strangely precise. It is. 162.8 to be exact. Exactly. So it didn't make any sense that he would know they were that distance from Marine. So they, they kind of max, mixed that up, I thought. You, you had to uh -huh. get to Marine to know how many miles you've been seeing the crucified children. So, yes. But that's TV penalty. That's not our bag. Right. Yeah, I, I see your issue, though. It makes perfect mm -hmm. sense. Um, so she sends out, as we described in the summary, she sent out Strong Bellwas basically to to challenge the the Miranese hero, basically because he didn't really do anything of use. He pretty much just ate and boasted and, and bossed, uh, now we know, Barristan around. Yeah. And that's pretty good use, pretty, pretty good use for him. Right. If you've got someone who can fight and boast, send him into yeah. a boastful fight, you know? Yeah, you know, he really hasn't done much to this point. Even at the, the port of Karth, it was Arston that defended Danny against the assassin in the Manticore. Uh, you know, and so... And, of course, it's added benefit that he's a former slave of the city. So, you know, there's that additional humiliation. Yeah. So... Yeah. And presumably and, quite recognizable too. Like oh, many within yeah. the city would actually recognize him. They were, hey, it's the guy with all the scars. Yeah, yeah, big guy. I know him. I yeah. remember him. I saw him fight 10 years ago. But it is good to know that his bite is as dangerous as his bark. Because right. he, 
right. did a lot of boasting. And yeah, yeah. so it's good to see he could back it up. <laughs> could have sort of self-inflicted scars to make him look tough. <laughs> right. could, could have been that. Yeah. You know, but this made me wonder because one of the things she says here is that all he was, all he'd done so far was eat, boast, and bellow at Arston. Mm-hmm. This is before she knows Arston is yes, Barristan. Yes. And I wondered, does Belwas know what's up? D- does he know that Arston is actually Sir Barristan Selmy? And th- th- this is, is he part of the the act here or does he really think he's bossing this guy around? I wondered the same thing. I- I'd be curious to know what happens next time he bellows. Right. <laughs> no, uh, although <laughs> not your squire anymore, Mister. <laughs> right. I I'm Lord Commander of the King's Guard until right. recently, so I outrank you by a good bit. Yeah. Although I, you know, as you say that, I'm thinking next time Belwas sees Barristan, he might not want him around that closely because Boss. of uh, because of where it appears. That Belwas and or yeah, that uh, yeah. Barristan and Jorah are going to be headed. Good point. Yes, <laughs> he might want him on the other side of the camp. So yeah, I mean, Marine seems pretty invulnerable, apart from this obvious, like you know, this exhaust port one meter across. That you know, if you use the force, you could get your. <laughs> right. <laughs> it just one feels flaw. like <laughs> exactly. You built the Death Star. Man the sewers. Don't let them just come back up, come up the sewers. Or at least have someone whose job it is to check the great Integrity of the great, yeah. Yes. yeah. I mean, I would think that you would need someone to sort of keep the gate from filling up with junk and stuff and things. So and while they, he's there... Yeah, check on the integrity. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think that's going to be the fatal flaw here. It certainly seems like uh, it very well could be. And Danny, she compares leaving Marine to, um, you know, because, well, let me back back up a second here. They're trying to think of ways in. That's where this gate idea, gate of the sewers idea comes from. And Jorah says, how about we just don't? We just keep going. We don't, this is not your war. You came to Slaver's Bay to get an army, not to get dragged into political battles here just keep your eye on the prize and she compares leaving marine unconquered to her ability to win back westeros so if if i can't even get past this can't even defeat this city how am i ever going to take the seven kingdoms and jorah's right in his apples to oranges comparison you know westeros she'll have allies and time to make battle plans and build siege engines and Oh yeah, much larger dragons, which is Jorah's well, primary point. <laughs> not eighty thousand starving people to feed the whole time you're sieging. Right. Yes. Good. Good addition to the list. There. That's that's the real problem. I mean, he. I mean, Jorah is often sort of like right with his kind of real politic. You know, hey, we've got to make the tough decisions here. We've got to do this. But he also. Yeah. I mean, how hardened do you have to be to ignore the 163 crucified children? She's never going right. to leave Marine. She'd rather die than leave yeah, Marine standing after this, you know? Yeah, that's exactly it. It's not so much about, well, if I can't even take this city, how will I ever take Westeros? It's vengeance yeah. for the and children. And the other thing is, she really could do with a place to house these 80,000. 
Well, yeah, yeah. You can convince some of them. Less... See this? It's a nice place. It's got sewers and everything. <laughs> it's got sewers. The the gates could use some uh, tending to, but aside from that, right, I mean, you've got eighty thousand of you standing idle, right? <laughs> uh, so the person who came up with the uh, sewers idea was Brown Ben Plump. Uh, it seems like a nice character. I like his yeah. admission that there are old cell swords and there are bold cell swords, but there are no old and bold cell swords. Uh, uh, yes, I like that yes, too. Yes. <laughs> Craven enough to have lived a long life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know about Brown Ben? Yeah, I, I liked his character. I thought he um, he added some some uh, unique characteristics to her already unique council. Yes. So. Plus, he's not as uh, dour as Barristan and Jora. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> the Ernest brothers. Uh, but you know, so one of the things that happens is that Viserion, that after she dismisses everybody from their council meeting, uh, Viserion, Vis- not Viserys. Did I say Viserion? No, or you Viserys? said Viserion. Meant... You said the dragon, not the, okay. not the dead uh, brother. Right, good. I meant the dragon. As if that Brown... brother had landed on his head, I would have had a very different <laughs> feeling about him. It would, it would have been a very different uh, experience, for sure. Uh, so Brown Ben is walking out with the rest, and Viserion kind of lands on his head and shoulder. And, you know, they, they strike up a conversation about that Brown Ben says, I have some Targaryen blood. Ben and Danny strike up the conversation, not Ben yes. and Viserion. Okay, good. Yes, good point. Yeah. Good distinction yeah. there. And I wondered if Viserion playing with Ben the way he did indicated the dragons can sense those with Targaryen or Valerian oh, blood. Oh, because he said he was Targaryen. Amount. I didn't think about that. I thought I was thinking of it more sort of equivalent to the Starks and the Direwolves and the Direwolves growl at the people who you shouldn't like and they lick the hands of the people you should. Oh, yes. Well, yeah, that could be it too, of course. But I like... did mention he's got Targaryen blood I, uh... and I wondered, oh, is he... is. Viserion picking up on the Targaryen blood yeah. thing, and that's why he. I like chose that. Him. I think you're right. I also think that you may have hit on a point when you said that he uh, Brown Ben, when you inadvertently implied that Brown Ben stuck up stuck up a conversation with Viserion, because if Viserion flapped over <laughs> to me and landed on my head and shoulder, I'm pretty sure I would say something along the lines of. <laughs> <laughs> Danny has a bit of a crush on Dario Naharis. She likes that gold tooth. Multiple times she yeah. thinks about his gold tooth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. In, in, in a world of poor dentistry, the gold tooth can look pretty cool, I would imagine. I, yeah, I guess so. But, you know, she determines that it's it's good in fantasy, but too risky in reality. I mean, she saw firsthand how Dario betrayed his Stormcrow partners and she also thinks that her, her, her and Dario would crush Jorah. The, the thought of her being with Dario would crush Jorah. But he's the one that said, well, the latest one that said to her that the dragon needs three heads. And he's the one that said, you should take two husbands mm-hmm. and I should be one of them. So, you know. But he was really hoping <laughs> the other one would be less good looking, not more. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's what he was really after. <laughs> it's, it's funny you said that the thought of Danny and uh, 
Mysterio together. That is enough to crush Jorah. Just thinking about yes. that. He like, doesn't even yeah, need it yeah. to be reality. Yeah. Uh, I don't feel like he would share very well. No, no. I, 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 you could be talking about either of those men in that case. Yes. Right, right. That's true. But so that quote, the dragon has three heads. It originally, uh, it was what Rhaegar said to either Danny or the woman that was holding the baby, presumably Elia Martell. Mm-hmm. I mean, that we don't know for sure, but we assume it's his wife. Uh, he said, the dragon, there must be one more. The dragon has three heads. And then later in that chapter, the undying reiterated, the dragon must have three heads. Uh, and then Jorah repeated it. And said you should take two husbands after he kissed her. Maybe he was kind of just like backpedaling a little bit. And it's like, you should take two husbands. I'll just be one of them. <laughs> so what about strong bell uh, was? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then he followed that line up with, I went back and read that section to make sure I got everything right. He followed that line up with, and I tell you truly, no man in this world will be so true to you as me which is rather pertinent in this chapter where discovered where it's discovered he has not been entirely truthful to her at all. Yeah. The thing is, I mean, I mean, that's kind of the end of the chapter, but we can sort of like talk about it now. She's going to forgive these two. I mean, but first of all, what Barristan did is not duplicitous at all. He fought until he was practically killed to keep the Targaryens on the throne. When he was recovered, the Targaryens were no longer on the throne, and he was still king of, still uh, Lord Commander of the King's Guard. What are you going to do? Right. Yeah. Quit. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's a solid point. It's not like it was an immediate thing. He was injured near death, and it took him time to recover. And by then, there was a new king. Yeah. And and Jorah, he, when he didn't know Danny, he was spying on her to get a pardon so he could come home. You, right. Danny's trying to get home too. People, you understand this concept. As so, but now he isn't doing that anymore. He is her man and will be loyal forever, unless she marries Dario. In which case, <laughs> then it's all all bets are off. <laughs> no, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, she's angry. She's hurt. Yeah. We'll Bye. See. Get over it. She's sending them up a creek without a paddle. Right. Yes. For sure. <laughs> so. The Targaryens ride the dragons, and so we only have Danny, and we have three dragons. So her recruiting two others in some way is kind of, well, not a requisite, but it feels like it would fit. The story would fit yeah. better if she could find dragon riders. And as you pointed out, uh, Brown Ben Plum, the dragon liked Right. Maybe it's the presence of some Targaryen blood. So there are Targaryen blood. I mean, Stannis Baratheon, right? Presumably the dragons would like Stannis. Right. Stannis does have Targaryen blood in him. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It, yeah, it's unclear if Targaryen blood is needed to ride dragons, but it certainly doesn't I, hurt. Yeah, I think I think you're onto something. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that that might be a, a good thing. And so maybe, um, right, who else is there? Man, they really are all dead, aren't they? We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Audible. To get a free audiobook or two if you're an Amazon Prime member, go to our exclusive URL, audibletrial.com slash ghostsherrenhall. You can find the link in our show notes. Yeah, there's there's not many options 
I mean, I don't know. I mean, Jorah's been around the dragon since birth. Yeah. Maybe they would tolerate him because of that. Well, if... if oh, if Irian Jiqui. Irian Jiqui. <laughs> They're like... Yeah, uh, they feed Surrogate them. moms. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that would be some, some uh, people to consider. But it, it also, I don't know that it's literal the dragon must have three heads. I, it, her, she does happen to have three dragons. Um... But uh, in a figurative sense, the dragon must have three heads. What, what a, we don't know what that means yet. But uh, again, we one of the possibilities of a the dragon must have three heads. If you're talking Targaryen blood, would be Stannis Baratheon. Yeah. As maybe it takes three dragons to defeat the others, or whatever the you know. He thinks it's the Rhaegar when he said that thought it was that Aegon, his son, was a prince that was promised. So maybe he thinks he has to defeat the the great other. Yeah, but I, uh, but I think you're right. I think I think you've given me the idea that you need three dragon riders too, who need right. to be part of this team. Whether that takes Targaryen blood, I don't know. Yeah, and it would be kind of a waste to have two dragons that don't have riders to help guide them in battle, you know? Yeah. So it would be really good if she could find two more. Yeah. But, you know, the thing about Stannis as one of the dragon heads of the dragons is, first of all, we don't know. It's unclear if Lightbringer is real. We don't know if he really is Azor Ahai. Uh, you know, if he if it is real, we have not been told how he managed to acquire Lightbringer. Yeah. So, you know, Melisandre thinks he is, but we don't know that he is and there's a line when i was going back and reading the house of the undying chapter to uh you know think about some of the things here there's a line with that the undying say that uh she will see that there's a a red sword raised in hand in the hand of a king with blue eyes that cast no shadows and that certainly sounds like Stannis? Yes, he, especially he the shadow thing. Yes. Right. Yeah. Uh, but it's in a section. They kind of do this thing where they, they break it up into sections, three different sections. And the se- that section is, then they say, they call her the Slayer of Lies. So hmm. I wonder if she is going to out... Stan, you know, expose Stannis for, what, as a for, false. for the fraud he is. That Melisandre. yes, uh, yes. Interesting. So, just something to think about. Yeah. Anyway, we've lost, we've gotten off topic. Yeah, but it's, but it's interesting. So, Danny mentions she thinks about the while she's riding through her camp that she uh, she tried to arm her freed people as best she can with weapons from the Yonkai and Astapor armory, and I thought. Maybe she should have tried the the Castle Black trick with the Straw Brothers. Uh-huh. If she had put dressed them all up like warriors right. and gave them, you know, weapons and made it look like an eighty thousand person strong army, not just like a few hundred army in eighty thousand person strong group of hungry people. See what you're saying. Although the last thing she needs is more mouths to feed, even pretend ones. Um, <laughs> but but also, I mean. You give a freed slave who presumably is quite fit from the hard work a sword and very minimal training. 
that person is more dangerous than your typical fat Miranese slaver. <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> I think she mentions that Jorah has formed up four companies from the from the uh, slaves. It's not nothing. From the yeah, form freed nothing. slaves, but... Yeah, but then the rest who didn't make it into that company are probably yeah. quite hopeless. But I would still give them all a sword. sword. I mean, like, first of all, you've taken away all the swords from Yunkai and Astapor in case they change their right. minds. Yes. <laughs> Good point. And, and I mean, how, how big is Marine's standing army? I mean, you would expect that our uh, uh, Unsullied should be able to take care of that, at least in open battle. Which we don't right. appear to if be they going can get to, get to that. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So Miro's surprise attack on Danny. Um, Arston, not for the first time, lets her to get get lets her get to within an <laughs> inch of her life before he saves her. Uh, both times it seems justified to a certain extent, but I just wonder if he likes to let it get close so he becomes all the more invaluable as her rescuer. <laughs> right, embarrassed in the risky, the 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 chance taker. Yeah, I mean, given, yeah, I mean, given who he is, you'd think he could t- handle these threats at the drop of a hat. But both right. times, she's almost succumbed, and he saved her. Yeah, I feel like if there were cars in Westeros, he'd be the person that drove for as long as he could with the gas light yes, on to see exactly it, yeah. <laughs> to see just how far he could push it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but then the scene with Jorah and Barristan both pleading for their lives whilst throwing shade at the oh, other yeah. one is just a fantastic scene. I just I just love it. I love the fact that they're just going at each other. I mean, scorched earth policy. I mean, neither of them, she's never going to look at either of them in the same light again. You know? Right, yeah. You're both treasonous <laughs> little rats is what you are. They were a mutual, assuring mutual destruction right yeah, there. Yeah, <laughs> sure. And there's no doubt Jorah's crimes are worse. First of all, Barristan has never done anything against her. Not one thing. Yeah, I mean, from her perspective, you could say serving Robert right. could be But it wasn't against Daenerys. It was, right. it was not loyal to the Targaryens, as he might have been, had he quit and thrown down his cloak. But it wasn't anti Daenerys, whereas Jorah's crimes were against her. Yes, absolutely. Directly yeah. against her and, yeah. you know, her uh, her well-being. Yeah, and if, jo- if Jorah said, well, Barristan keeps letting you almost get killed before he saves you, you'd be like, <laughs> you remember you and the wine? How did you know that wine was going to be poisoned? I was thinking about that, yes. Probably because you told him to if do she's it. Gonna... Yeah, is she gonna think? Wait a second, he's but he saved me so many times. I mean, remember, remember in Vase Dothrock with the what? Wait a second, how did he exactly? No, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. So Barristan, uh, he mentions to her that he never lied to her. He said he, you know, he squired, he he squired for a swan early in his life, and he squired for Strong Bellwas now. Uh, and the the squire that he or the who he squired for in his uh, much earlier in his life in his younger days was Manfred Swan, the head of House Swan and Lord of Stonehelm. Okay. So that was just a little bit of background mm-hmm. thrown in there for a little free background before we get to the background section. Uh, but yeah, it's, so Jorah immediately attacks Barristan's character. He says, "Before you stands." Sir Barristan the Bold, Lord Commander of the Kingsguard, who betrayed your house to serve Robert the Usurper. 
And I wondered, did his immediate attack cause Barristan to go on the defense and counterattack Jorah? Or was Jorah assuming Barristan's about to spill all my secrets, so I need to try and discredit him preemptively? Yeah, I, I, I mean, yes, that's what's going on there. I think he made the wrong decision because I do too. because by going nuclear straight off the bat, Barristan went nuclear right back. And again, uh-huh. Jorah's crimes are worse. There's no question. Yes, exactly. It was a it was a poor decision because yeah. I mean, yeah. at the very smallest amount. Barrison fought on the side of Rhaegar at the Trident. Just that, yeah. So, and the yeah. other thing is, the other thing to remember is, you've just discovered that was Barristan Selmy. He always knew you were Jorah Mormont. Right, he's had time. He's had time to not only remember all the things he can spill about you, <laughs> but he's also had time to plan this moment, to say right. You. And and anytime yes. he could have outed you and he didn't. So he's been able to sit on this. If you can hold your tongue, maybe he can hold his tongue. But you go right. nuclear, yes. he's going to go nuclear on you, you know? Yeah, it became a tit for tat, you know, like immediately. Like, well, he did this. Well, he did that. And, you know, Selmy opens Jorah's closet, which, of course, was full of skeletons yeah. that uh, he did not want Danny to know about. Yeah. And, you know, he says, uh, Bearson says to Danny, that I, I'm, you know, he apologizes for deceiving her and says it was the only way to keep the Lannisters from learning I joined you, which is just another dig at Jorah, saying, if I had told you who I was, this Jorah was going to rat me out to the Lannisters. <laughs> Good point, yeah. I mean, still, I mean, when in the cool light of day, Jorah can say, yeah, I sinned against you, but I have atoned many times over for it. You know, I'm your, I'm right. your most yeah. loyal subject, and I always will yeah. be going forward. Right. Unless you marry yeah. Dario or keep Paris <laughs> and sell me close by. Right. Now I'm putting my foot down. <laughs> and you could see, like you mentioned, you could see the turmoil within Danny. She was, her internal, uh, was, her internal thoughts were very much torn. She was angry and hurt, but conflicted because both have done so much for her. Um, Although, uh, possibly um, a good bit of what Jorah did for her was secretly undoing things that he set in motion in the first place. But Barristan, I mean, once the the cork was out of the bottle, man, this stuff sprayed out because he then (laughs) gave us his true feelings about Jamie Lannister. Right. It wasn't like, oh, I forgive Jamie. He he did what he had to do to save the city. It was like, oh, he and the others who sullied the cloak. So it's like, well, okay. You really were tamping it down these last 18 years. Yeah, what he was thinking about his other brothers is not not great, at least some of them anyway. But I wondered, what would would Barrison sell me as honorable a man as he at least believes he is, what would he have done in Jamie's situation? Would he have done it differently? As always, with Jamie and Jamie not telling anyone, does Barristan even know? That's very possible. Even though he's a brother, you know, of the Kingsguard, he might not know because Barristan was at the Trident when all this yeah. was happening in King's yeah. Landing. So yes, you're right. It's it's possible 
Barrison might see him in a totally different exactly. light if Jamie Barrison had said, might, here's why yeah, I had to Barrison do Barrison might have done exactly the same thing and then told everyone why he did it, you know, and the realm right. because yes. <laughs> I've said before, I would tell everyone the reason I broke my vow is. Right. Yeah. And another thing we, we get here is that yeah, he he tells Danny that when the vile boy took his white cloak and then sent m- men to kill me that same day, that was when I had had enough. I, I had an epiphany. I said, no, I need to go find my true king. And he obviously went and searched for Vis- Viserys. But it seemed the way I read it anyway, is that Barristan might have accepted the removal of the his removal from the king's guard if it hadn't been followed up by joffrey sending men to then kill him it was it was both that well uh, yeah i mean pushed him over he's, the edge. he's 60 right i mean he probably was looking forward to retirement by the sea which is what he was offered but <laughs> then you send murderers after me <laughs> right he he stormed out of there all in a huff and then as he was thinking about it he was like you know that's not yeah. so bad. Sounds nice. <laughs> the sea, you know, the waves. See a young widow to sort of like be my accompaniment uh. <laughs> for my dying days. Yeah, I can see that. Oh, well, on the subject of a young widow, look who we found. Right. Oh, yes. Yeah, yes. And, you know, Renly actually, if we remember back to when the chapter when Cat met up with Renly yeah. and company at Bitterbridge, yeah. he asked Cat if she, if if Barristan was with Rob because he was, he being Renly, was told that Selmy had said he was leaving to take up service with his true king. Ah. And it seems that that was Viserys that right. he was referring to. And then, just to fit, tie that up in a little bow, Renly mentioned, I went back and reread this to make sure I had my facts right. Renly mentioned that the cloak that Brienne won in that melee when Cat yeah. arrived was actually being held well, for Barristan, oh. hoping that Barristan was on his way to yeah. Renly, which he wasn't. I wonder if that's setting up some fight between Barristan and uh, Brienne. Oh. A little yeah. foreshadow. <laughs> I want that cloak. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it was the blue cloak, right? <laughs> so, so tie everything together with the Danny's undying uh, dreams because uh, her dreams were mentioned several times here because she, uh, basically the, tr- the, the the traitors, the treason she would have to face, yes? The betrayals she would have to face. Right. When she was with the undying, they told her she would face three treasons. One for blood, which she and we assume Mere was Mary Mazdor. Yeah. One for gold and one for love. And so, you know, since since we've got the treasons here, we might as well check in on the the sets of three that the uh, undying uh, said she'd have to deal with, I guess. So the first are three fires you must light. One for life, one for death, one for love. And... Okay, the fire <laughs> that brought the dragons to life is the one for life. I think you can make an argument that that fire fits all three. One for life, the dragons, one for death, Miriam Asdor, and one for love, she put Khal Drogo out of the... He was in a vegetative state and, you know, she ended his life and then, you know, burned him in the pyre. 
so I don't know. I, that's an argument yeah, you can make. Is one fire for yeah. all three? Keep a thermometer yeah. on those fires. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, so three mounts you must ride: one to bed, one to dread, and one for love. Yeah. So uh, one to bed. I don't know. I mean, in this chapter, we learn that Dario is one she wouldn't mind. Just just betting, the mounting things makes you think of Cal Drogo, surely. Oh, but this is but yes, but you're but, thinking it's future, and this is all post Cal Drogo. Well, it could be. I think the one for love could have been yeah. Drogo, possibly, because she loved Drogo. Mm-hmm. the The one to dread has to be one of her dragons, riding a dragon. Right? That's, that's dragon, what I'm thinking too. Which, yeah, yeah. She said in this chapter to Drogon, uh, if you were big enough, I would fly you over the walls. So maybe that's the one she's planning on riding herself. But it certainly seems like the dread one is yeah. a dragon. Um, yeah, one to bed. I, we don't know yet. She's not taken anyone to bed yeah. since uh, Drogo died. But it could be. Maybe we're about to see that it's going to be Dario. Or... Actually, though, actually, that, that's a good point. Maybe... Maybe this actually refers to the three dragons. And the three dragons belong to one is for her, maybe the one to dread is for her, one to bed for her lover, and one for love for her non-lover love. I'm thinking Jorah. Right. Right. <laughs> it could be. I hadn't thought about it from the dragons uh, the dragon perspective. I had thought maybe um the one to love was I mean, she rides silver you know maybe that was love because drogo gave it to her gave the horse to her on their wedding day but i don't know that that one's pretty pretty weak if the undying were were going at that level be like could you do you have anything more important that you could mention you like horses (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) you like horses uh, and then the three treasons you will know that's the one that comes up in this chapter one for blood one for gold one for love uh, like I said, we already mentioned Mary Mazdor seems the the top yeah. option for one for I'm blood. definitely feeling like Jorah could be um, one of the other two, but I don't know which one it is. Yeah, you know, uh, I forget his name for a second. Barristan in this chapter says that Jorah was selling her secrets, trading whispers to the spider for gold and promises. I don't know that. According to Jorah, there was no gold right. involved. It was just right. promises. But, but from her perspective, um, that's probably enough to make it seem like it's the one for gold. Right. But I agree. I I, I doubt one... he was getting much money. He was really looking for the return. And possibly a chest right. of money when he got back to help him. <laughs> when he got back. He needs some starter. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> he needs some starter cash. The one to love, that's a tough one. To even under, well, it's one for love. Betrayed, betrayed for love. Reason you will know for love. Hmm. Yes, I've wondered if possibly Barristan. Did, first of all, did he betray her? No. My reason for saying for love is that did he betray her? Did he betray the Targaryens for love of honor of his role in the Kingsguard? Is where I was going yeah. with that. I mean, there's there's also plenty more potential happenings here where someone might betray her yes. for their own personal love, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, 
she could fall in love with yeah. someone or she could you know, recruit we... someone who's in love with someone else you know and... right yes why don't you give me some background mckelly all right well let's talk about brown ben Please plum shall do. we the uh as you mentioned the new commander of the second sons and he tells danny as we mentioned earlier that he's got a drop of dragon blood in him himself what mckelly he explains i knew this is what you're gonna do uh background yeah when I was reading it, I was like, I hope McKelly explains which Egan he's talking about. <laughs> well, sit back and open your All ears, right. and uh, I just might All do right. that for you. So uh, Ben explains rather ambiguously that some old plum, as he puts it, married a Targaryen in King Aegon's Now that day. is not enough for any detective in the real world, but McKelly Ray is going to get to the bottom of this one. Well, you know, I, I, I did what I could by uh, opening some books and, and doing a little research. <laughs> so Ben was unaware that there have been five ruling Aegons, and he doesn't have a clue which King, King Aegon it was. However, he does know that the Plum was a lord and must have been famous because the man was said to have, well, a six-foot-long manhood. So who was this mysterious and surely rather immobile plum? And could he possibly have lived up to this legend? Well, it's hard to imagine anyone noticed the plums, really. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Keep gag. Keep going. I set you Uh, up. You had to take it. Well, the plum in question was the elderly Lord Ossifer Plum. Uh, he actually came up in background back way back in Davos II of A Clash of Kings. We talked about him marrying Princess Elena Targaryen back in 176. And the King Aegon in question was King Aegon IV, a.k.a. Aegon the Unworthy. So there we go. We've got our Plum and we've got our right. Aegon. So let's see what we can learn about these two. Well, like we mentioned back in Davos II of A Clash of Kings... Uh, Lord Ossifer died on his wedding night, uh, the night that he married Elena Targaryen. We said that he died during the bedding after conceiving a son. However, the rumor mill says different. The rumor mill says that Lord Ossifer had died before being able to consummate the marriage. The rumor mill also says it was seeing Elena naked that caused him to keel Mm -hmm. over. So... Uh, and that the child was instead fathered by King Aegon himself, who happens to be Elena's first cousin. But this is, we're talking about Targaryens here, so that's hardly an yes, infraction. Yeah. It's this rumor that led to the saying that Lord Osfer had a six foot long manhood. I, I assume the correlation is that you're buried six feet underground and he. Oh, he, yes, uh, I see. Uh, yeah impregnated yes. his wife after, after he, he died, died so therefore yes, very good his man I, I didn't quite understand must've... why that led to it either but you're you're right that's exactly what it is yes yeah i spent i've, I've had some time yes. to think about what the two things how they were related anyway regardless of who his father truly was elena named her son viserys possibly after her uncle viserys ii uh, Viserys Plum inherited Ossifer's lands and titles and ruled as Lord Plum, no mention of whether he inherited Ossifer's endowment. Okay. Uh, the comparison with the television show, um, the duel with the champion is given to Dario, 
because Bellwurst doesn't exist in the TV show, so it's Dario takes care oh, of Oh, okay. And I've All mentioned right. Monty Python once already tonight, but I'm going to mention it again because okay. um, the the uh, champion, who's never named in the show, but let's call him Orzen because that was his name in the book, Orzen is shouting right. in Valyrian. He is shouting lines from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> Did you know that? Yep. No. He, he's, and, and people... <laughs> I mean, how how dedicated are these people? People noticed it. People said, was that Monty Python? Because there's a scene in Monty Python and the Holy Grail where John Cleese is on the wall of a castle and he says, uh-huh. your mother yeah. was a hamster and your father smelt of elderberries. And that is what uh, yeah. Orson says in Valerian. I would have noticed. I had to have noticed that. That's one of my favorite but movies But how would you notice up. it? Because it was in Valyrian. You'd have to speak Valyrian. Oh, it was in Valyrian. I certainly exactly. wouldn't have noticed but that. In, there were enough... <laughs> nerds to who spoke enough valyrian <laughs> to go wait a minute did he just say that his mother was some kind of small mammalian creature and his father smelled of some kind of berry <laughs> that's fantastic mm. <laughs> i love uh, it that's great she danny already knew that barristan was barristan in the show so we don't have that big reveal dario kills orzen and then thankfully pees in the general direction of marine oh, okay yes uh, yes much no better. ben plum no second assassination attempt by miro but the 163 crucified children are kept and weirdly counted in advance of seeing them yeah. right yes uh, <laughs> and barrister in the show does not know a priori of jorah's treachery he does not bring that up to danny he didn't know he arrived Later in the show, he receives information that says that Jorah was a spy. And he confronts Jorah with it. Wow. Wow. That is a... Yeah. Hmm. But it's a little bit further on in the show. Surprising twist. I don't want to get into it because I don't know. I don't know how this is going to work out in the book and I don't know how that worked out in the TV show. But Barristan didn't come with that information. It's why he never told her. He learns it later. Okay. Uh, pedantry corners. So I've got some solid pedantry here, actually. So, so Marine, as you said, the the western edge of Marine is the sea shore. The northern wall is against the river that flows into the sea. Right. The sewers are in the north. They roll into the river, and the river takes the sewage out into the uh-huh. sea. Okay. okay, I'm with you. Danny said, uh, I'm not sure if Danny said it, but I I think she's thinking about it, that several of the people in her camp are getting sick from drinking the river water. Jorah told her that. Because the, Jorah told her that. Because the Miranese use it as a toilet. But they themselves drink from wells within the city. Right. That's how they stay healthy. The thing is, the river flows the other way. There's no way they're drawing water from downstream of the sewers. They would have to go all the way to the northwest corner to draw brackish sewage water in order to drink it. They're going to be taking water from before the sewers, and so that just doesn't make any sense. I see. Hmm. You're camped in the field to the east of the city, where the water in the river is clean. Right. Why are you walking past the sewers (laughs) to get dirty water and bring it back? Yes, I follow you. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. It it is definitely pedantry. I follow you. Thanks. Yeah. You've got one, McKelly. Why don't you tell us? Well, it's so it's it's about the 
an observation Danny makes during the fight between the hero of Marine and uh, Strong Belwas. I think it's Jorah says that the hero needs to quit trying to basically poke Belwas and instead ride him down like a Dothraki would because all that Belwas has to do is just avoid the tip of the lance and he's he's fine. And Danny, the next time that the hero makes a pass, notices and she thinks to herself, he's right. The hero is riding at Belwas like a Westerosi knight would in the lists. And I wondered, how in the world does Danny, who's never stepped foot in Westeros, know so much about Westerosi jousting technique? That's solid pedantry, McKelly. That is solid, solid pedantry. I, I, it's funny, actually, because as you described the entire conversation, all you had to do was turn it around. Have Jorah say uh, he's fighting like a Westerosi in the lists. Right. Makes perfect sense. He knows. And for Danny to go, oh, yeah, why isn't he just trampling all over him like a Dothraki would? She right. would recognize that. Yes. So, yeah, right. The, the, the lines are the wrong way around. Uh-huh. All right. I'm not going to give it A plus, but I'm going to give it an A. Okay, that's good. I'll take an A. Yeah. I am yeah. not. Uh, I'm not too proud. A is good. <laughs> All right, news and notes. Okay, so the first thing I wanted to mention is that there will not be an episode of our lovely show uh, the week of August fifteenth due to some scheduling issues. However, there will be a unique twist on the August eighth episode, which is episode two hundred two, Tyrion seven. So you'll want to give a listen. To find out what that is. Definitely will. That's exciting. (laughs) House of the Dragon racked up eight Emmy Award nominations. Uh, Oh, by the way, on the subject of Emmy Awards, have you watched any of Jury jury Duty? I did. I meant to mention that in the opening, but I forgot. I'm two episodes in, and I have laughed out loud so many times. (laughs) I knew knew it would appeal to you. I knew it would. I think it's when the kid Noah says that he's a racist and <laughs> Ronald's was, face. He said, oh, no, I'm really not. Someone just told me that would work. And he was like, who told you that? And he starts looking over it. At, uh, uh, whatever the main guy's name is. I Ronald. Yes. Ronald. <laughs> and he's like, no, uh, no, no. Please don't say it's me. <laughs> oh, uh, it is hilarious. <laughs> I knew you'd like it. Uh, yeah, so, but anyway, back on topic. House of the Dragon has racked up eight award nominations, a bunch for all the costumes, the special effects, the makeup, but also for outstanding drama series. All right. That's great. Uh, also, Martin gave an update on The Iron Throne, which is a stage production that he's involved with. He says that he had a great meeting with producers and scripts are coming along and that he's very excited about it all. However, he won't give a timeline. Uh, it seems he's learned the hard way about doing that with Winds of Winter, which is probably speaking advisable. Of winds, yeah. Speaking of Winds of Winter, George Martin says that he's writing almost every day. Mm-hmm. Writing, rewriting, editing, making steady progress, but he admits it's not as fast as we'd like, but it is progress. We'll take it. Yeah. Uh, and we have a new Buy Me a Coffee sustainer. Oh, lovely. Greenfire has joined the Night of the Realm. The Knights of the Fire at the, yes. at the 200th episode, yeah. Yes. Um, and so uh, we're very excited to have you on board. We're looking forward to our interactions with you. So thank you very much for joining our sustainership. It really, it, it's, it's so, it means so much to us when people join our really Buy Me a Coffee sustainers. Yeah. 
And on that subject, thank you to Ryan for five cups of Arbor Gold after the live episode. It was, uh, we had a lot of fun doing it, and it was nice to be rewarded. So thank you, Ryan. Yes, thank you very much, Ryan. All right, let's conclude this one. So Nanny now has two respected, fiercely loyal knights of Westeros at her disposal. But right now, she trusts neither. Can she get over that? I think she's going to. I think she has to. I, yeah, I... I... If you think about what a boon it is for her to get Barrison Selmy on her side. Now, maybe not Nessos. They might might not know who he is. But when she gets, if she gets to Westeros, that'll that'll hold some cachet. Yeah, yeah. Actually, quite a bit more than Jorah Mormont. So that might, if, if she has to choose between them, if they can't work together, that could be bad news for Jorah. Right, yeah. His... Jorah's immense jealousy of any man who gets near Danny really it backed him into a corner here at the end of this chapter because it felt like he was immediately trying to attack Barristan. And like we, we were discussing earlier, was mm-hmm. it because he was afraid? He's like, uh oh, he's about to reveal what he knows. I better discredit him quickly. Possibly he just couldn't help himself. And any man that he feels is a threat to his relationship with Danny, he just immediately has to try and tear down. Yeah. But we're pretty confident she's sending them both up the <laughs> sewers. So is is that is that a suicide mission? Is it just a loyalty test to see if they'll do it? Uh, is it the way into Marine? Is it going right. to actually be the, the secret here? Yeah, so what would have to happen? They'd have to get into the sewers, get into the city overtake a gate the guards at a gate and raise the gate i guess i guess that that would be the plan i don't know what else they would do just two of them in there i I caught a slightly different plan on the tv show but i'm not sure if that's actually what happens so i will voice it yeah i'm sure there's other other options to be considered but do you think should barrison have gone to jorah first or uh, he says he didn't because he was afraid that that Jorah was still, you know, in the Lannister yes, slash on the payroll. Yeah, payroll. Yeah. So I guess that's why he didn't. But, um, you know, he has seen Jorah's loyalty firsthand now. But also he knows that, that Jorah's been betraying Danny since the beginning. So maybe that colors the way he sees Jorah's actions. Yeah. I will say in the TV show, when he learns of Jorah's treachery, he goes to Jorah and Jorah says, can I speak to the queen, to, to uh, Danny?" And Barristan says, you will never be alone in her presence again. Oh, okay. So. Yes. And uh, will will Daenerys act on her thoughts about Dario? She's been lonely for a while. Dario is hunky with his gold tooth. Yeah, and his blue eyes and his blue beard. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you're painting quite the picture. <laughs> kind of. Though when I picture him, I kind of picture a parrot. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> or some sort of like cockatoo or something with yeah, all those yeah. vibrant colors that he's sporting. Not, not a cockatrice, though. No, no, definitely not that, no. <laughs> so one thing, we, we talked about this before, actually, that Dario is the kind of guy who probably is a bit of a, you know, a lover of women. I'm guessing. Right. Sure. And probably isn't used to having to sort of bide his time Uh and beg and plead. And 
I wonder if he's going to be put off by her not falling into his lap as soon as they met kind of thing. Could be, or maybe he would enjoy the challenge of actually wooing yeah. a woman instead of, you know, just yeah, yeah. taking her or whatever. But, I, you know, one we final thing see. about um, about Danny and, you know, what was revealed to her at the end of this chapter, it, it must be, it, it's got to be really tough for her to learn that the man she thought was her ride or die, her closest and oldest yeah. friend in Essos, has been selling her out, you know, I say, I'll say since the beginning. Because she doesn't know when it stopped. I would I would think he can make an argument that it stopped when he outed the wine merchant. You yeah. know, that yeah. he could have just let her be killed, right. but because, he didn't. Because that would have fulfilled the rest of the deal he made, and he right. prevented it rather than letting it happen. Yeah, that's yes. that's legit. So, but still, it's got to be, you know, she doesn't have a lot of people in the world. She's never had a lot of people, and she thought she had this man as her rock so it's got to be tough. So next week we get to Tyrion, and he um, it's it's a it's a sexy episode. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to hearing episode 202. Yes, it will be fun. It will. Yes, you'll definitely want to tune in to catch that one. Uh huh. All right. There's four ways that you can help us. You could leave us a positive review. You can buy some merchandise at ghostofharrenhall.threadless.com. You can buy us a cup of Arbor Gold at buymeacoffee.com slash ghostharrenhall. Become a sustainer as Greenfire did at the Lord Paramount or Knight of the Realm level. There are so many fun benefits you will not be disappointed. Or you can just donate directly to our cause through our website ghostofharrenhall.buzzsprout.com. And if you're looking for more ways to interact with us, keep up on the latest Ghost of Heron Hall news and developments, well, check out our social medias. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, at Ghost Heron Hall. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Discord, and YouTube. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye.